So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. And today's episode, I've got a cracker of a conversation lined up with someone who I've known for over 20 years in, uh, in life, and he is a remarkable person. He is a great thinker, innovator, leader, and someone I'm so glad I met all those years ago. He's called Chris Nurko. He currently lives in the US, but has lived in the UK. So Chris, welcome to the show and thank you. Thank you. What great words of uh, praise. Uh, right back to you. 20 years. Yeah. Well, it's good to be with you today, Piers. Thanks, Chris. And um, I'm going to let you, Chris, just say a little bit about your uh, potted history to the listeners. So can you just give people just a, a minute or two, probably quite a minute. You might need longer than that, given you've done so much. But can you just give a little <laughs> potted history to people to w- what you've been up to over the last few decades? <laughs> Sure. Well, um, currently I'm the chief innovation and growth officer for Interbrand C-Space Group, which is part of Omnicom. And it's a brand consultancy plus consumer insight consultancy. So I spend most of my time thinking about brands and, and consumers and citizens and how they are affecting and changing and transforming the world. But my background has been really As you said, I spent almost 34 years in the UK um, after graduating from the LSE and worked in marketing and advertising, leading multiple projects, including things like creating the low-cost airline Wizz Air. Uh, I worked on Nespresso, the London 2012 Olympics identity and brand rollout as well as many other consumer and corporate brands. And I spend most of my time thinking about how they innovate and how they transform And perhaps that's where having mindful leadership really connects with what you do. And hopefully I'll share some of those insights from my experience today. Yeah. And and Chris was, for those um, listeners that know me very well, before I got into the mind and coaching and training, so 25 plus years ago, I worked in innovation, uh, in uh, consumer goods and in branding. And Chris was instrumental in in getting me excited and engaged in that. And, And I always think, Chris, the reason I think we've, got on and known each other for so long is because intuitively whether you knew it or not you you just understood the mind and people and that's why you've been so great and everything you seem to touch you sort of like the Midas Midas touch um and we've had some great conversations over the years about that but I'd love to ask you how important do you think the mind is in what we do in 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 the world of business and organizations well, first of all, thank you again, Piers. Like the compliments go right back to you. And yes, I guess it's the quality of our mutual minds that we appreciate in that the understanding of what motivates people and how people decide they're going to interact with others is, is really a topic of not only endless curiosity, but also endless potential. Because I think through relationships, you get results. 
and some of our fondest work memories, and, and many people don't have positive work memories, right? And how, what they do and pursue in their career is finding people that are like-minded and who understand that together they can achieve more. So I guess therefore to kind of come back to the question, I think you have to start with having a self-awareness of that your mind is probably the one, the one and most important tool or operating system that you have. And until you realize that, you're never really going to be able to, let's say, speak your mind and, and, and contribute in a way that just helps people or organizations or projects succeed, transform, and, and really, I guess that's where the satisfaction comes from by seeing an idea through and getting rid of all that anxiety and taking risks and which holds us back often at work as, as well as poor relationships. So that's why I believe that mind, understanding your mind and thinking about it when you think about your thinking, wow, there's a, there's a Escher like thought. I think it's the most important thing to, to, for people to think about, um, and understand. I also wanted just to give listeners a, a chance to hear some of the great examples or anecdotes that you might have about where in what you've been trying to achieve in organizations over the years, you've come to see the relevance and the power of understanding the mind piece and the human piece in, in succeeding in business. Have you got any little examples you could share with us? Yeah, I've got lots, but, um, maybe to set them up correctly to think about it is, as I said, if the mind is an operating system, you can approach every challenge as either like an impossible task, right? Um, that, oh, it'll never be done. And, and that sends you into the spiral of negativity, which leads, as you know, to blame excuses and kind of a, a really negative state. Um, or you can like reframe things and you can acknowledge and create some accountability for your mind. And therefore you can see every challenge as an opportunity and an opportunity to bring creativity and to bring others into the mix so that not all of the responsibility and accountability is on your shoulders, literally in your head. <laughs> and I think mm. those are the things that people forget. And, and to that point, I'll give you two examples. One is just, you know, I love the, the Adidas phrase, which impossible is nothing, is that, you know, people felt in a lot of, across my career, there were a lot of brands that have been extremely successful because they completely challenged the status quo. They, they were completely framed by either visionary leaders or visionary teams who basically said, we can completely upend this business model. Why does it have to be? They asked that question. And they were excited by the potential of change. Um, and they were excited about reinventing categories. And if you just think about some of the breakthrough brands today that have really, let's say, altered our consciousness because they've altered the consciousness of what we expect and what we demand and how we think. Um, some of it enabled by technology. It's not exclusively a digital thing, but also just reimagining some everyday things. So whether it's in food, um, you know, home delivery services, streaming services. Um, just think of those brands and I, I don't, we're not sponsored by anyone, so I don't want to get into any <laughs> specifics, but just think about those brands that didn't exist five years ago that now we depend upon or that we, we, we look to and we trust. Um, and think of those brands who maybe we grew up with, but have disappeared and that they failed to survive. Often that's because their leadership team has failed to transform or understand the changing nature of the world around them. So that, that first example is really about 
impossible is nothing is, is kind of something I live by because impossible is always, is everything, to be actually honest. The other side, which is when you acknowledge that you can find a solution and you bring the best minds together, you can really change the world and you can accelerate results. And the best example of this is look at what happened during COVID and the race for a vaccine, the race for understanding and where we harnessed global minds in science and medicine and technology and the entrepreneurial spirit and, and really were able to come up with vaccines, which is just, you know, it took, I think, 10 years to develop the polio vaccine in the 50s and the COVID vaccine because of our technology and the mindset of those collaborative scientists and doctors was like less than four months to get to the very first trials. So I can, I can look at it in two ways, as I said, which is one, recognize the spiral, recognize that it's not impossible and recognize your own role in changing that dynamic and you can achieve and you can reframe. And then the other thing is, imagine if you can open your mind to collaborating and harnessing the powers of others for a mutual goal and you accelerate and exponentially um, amplify the potential solutions or impact that you'll have. Yeah, and it's fascinating because what I've seen you do is go into an organization or a team and bring that possibility in. I mean, it was always there, but that it was hiding behind the clouds and you kind of wake it up. Yeah, um, like a double espresso and an alarm clock, right? Yeah, exactly. It's best an alarm clock for, for, for creativity and innovation. And, and that's then, people then start to see that and then it self-perpetuates. And you do that for sort of brands externally, and you do that for organizations in what you bring in terms of collaboration and, and people seeing possibility and, and not being so shackled by the sometimes invisible layering that we put in our mind. And you don't buy into that. You, you just, you've intuitively never bought into that. So therefore you just see it as something that will disappear once we get in the right space about it, um, which, which is which is wonderful. And then that manifests itself in these great things that brands do uh, and organizations do. So um, because I, I've seen you do that as well within an organization. So if we, if we move it from the brand bit to when you're in a leadership role, how do you get a bunch of really creative, clever people to be synergistic, like to be two plus two equals five? Interesting because it doesn't have to be a group of really clever and creative people. <laughs> well, potentially, <laughs> right. <laughs> they're the biggest challenge because they already think that they're creative and they think that they have the answer. So ah. um, sometimes the journey to finding the answer is the answer, right? <laughs> but um, I, I want to double click on something you said, which is important that I think it's in any organization, it's about the leaders, the individuals, and then how those individuals coalesce as a team, a collaborative team. Um, and the, that, that creates that organizational culture and that organizational mindset. And sometimes that the organizational culture is like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like this operating system that like quashes innovation or, or becomes the status quo that kind of, let's just say, restricts our thinking or it closes it down. And, and you always use the word aperture. And, and I think mm. it's important that if you open your aperture as a leader, um, not as a follower, as a manager, but as a leader and see those challenges for what they are. One, accountability. My, I'm responsible for my own mind and what my actions are. And I'm also responsible for working with others. And how I approach that will reframe 
the potential. And as you said, is like, like going into organizations. I love it when an organization says, we're open for change. We're ready to transform. We really want to work together. We have all these brilliant creative minds just eager to solve the world's challenges and, and fulfill our purpose. Well, trust me, that happens like 2% of the time, 98% of the time. And I would say it's almost 99% in most British companies is that you're presented with a series of obstacles, challenges, impossible Sisyphus-like tasks, and a mindset that's equally, I would say, neutral, stuck in neutral, or stuck maybe in reverse. Right. Um, and, and very sort of like, oh, it's just the way things are around here. Oh, it will never change. We tried that already. Oh, X person, manager, he or she or they um, are they're never going to go for that. And and just keep your head down, keep your job, tread water. Like that is that is the malaise of corporate world, right? And I call it small and medium enterprise world. But then what happens is an event comes along or there's or an opportunity um, or a challenge. And then they realize that they have to pull together or the, the leader has to step up and really lead, right? And it's it's time for no excuses. And that's when they ask for, I don't want to say coaching, but they ask for some guidance. And my role is really just to facilitate and guide. And the first thing that I always do, which is down to you, I would say, is um, let's start with our minds. Like, mm -hmm. wh where's our head at? Literally. And how are we thinking? And how are we, what is our aperture? And do we really understand the task? And do we need to reframe the task from a human perspective versus just a, a tactical or rational? Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's so interesting that if you don't start there, from my perspective, and it's so wonderful hearing you say this, if you don't start with the aperture, you're building a house on, on very, very dodgy sand, right? <laughs> and, and you're going to be pushing uphill when it comes and you're going to end up being the 98%, not the 2%. So I, I, think, I think it's great that you see that bit because it'd be very easy to jump into solution mode without checking in on what, where the mind's at. So, and, and this, this corporate malaise, it's funny because when you're outside an organization, you can see it quite easily, but when you're in it, it, it gets a little bit more squished up against you and it's a bit more invisible. Um, when you're in it, I think it's often difficult to see or understand that you're in it because you either A, you may feel like you've never worked anywhere else or haven't experienced anything else. So you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know um, about yourself, let alone the organization. By the same token, you can think of it as an organization can get very siloed and very focused on their own swim lane and and they convince everyone in the organization that that this is the task and it's you know quarter one quarter two this is important and and actually they sacrifice the i would call it the principle of reflection they sacrifice that in the expediency of getting tasks done and you know anyone who's creative and successful knows you have to create space to just let things flow so that you can be in the flow you have to be observant. You have to let things sit with you and, and rest in your, your mind and your thoughts and your feelings. And you have to like observe and bring other people in. It's just not like we're not machines. Machines are programmed and they have a, a you push the button and boom, something comes out, right? Well, that's not the same for when you need to reframe a situation that requires a creative response and a creative strategic business response let alone personal. And I, I think this yeah. is where we don't build enough time for, the, for our minds to absorb, catch up because of this constant data stream of, of, of data, of information that's always coming in that we're expected to process 
almost immediately. And this creates clutter and noise in our heads and in our minds. And it it, it muddles the decision-making capabilities we have. Um, and, and plus, everyone's aware of like the digital clock in our heads of like, I don't have any time. And, you know, I love today when you ask someone, how are you? And they answer you like, oh, so, so busy. Yeah. <laughs> I often think that that's like, that's not a good thing. No, <laughs> no it's merit badged, isn't it? But I love what you just said there. I think you articulated that really neatly is that what I'm generalizing here, modern business doesn't do is give the space for realization to happen, which is where mindsets dissolve, new perspectives come along. So, so we're trying to do everything really quickly and immediately and focus on the very short term. Whereas most of the big changes are going to come from stepping a step back, looking wider than oh, what's this quarter's numbers right? So, so, so we don't look wide enough. And in the day to day, we run our lives quite busy with 24 seven information, pop, 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 pop. And that doesn't help us with the aperture widening to have our realizations, which is where real change comes from. As you know, I always talk about realization change behind yeah. the eye change. That's Absolutely. where it really happens. But if we're minds going too fast, it can't do that. So you get well, more of the same. I think because we've been taught to value action, Mm. And we've been taught to value and prioritize um, outcomes um, without understanding that it's actually the impact of those outcomes that we should really be focused on. And in order to have great impact and great outcomes, you do need to think and literally spend time thinking and feeling and processing and, and organizing and reframing. So it's the, uh, you know, the, the ready, fire, aim syndrome needs to be kind of refocused. Um, what are you aiming for? And then how do you prepare and what's, you know, what makes it ready? Um, and ready also means mitigating risk, of course, but mm. at the same time it's capitalizing on opportunity and then you fire and then, okay, then, then you go into action mode, right? But we're so, so organized towards action mode, um, often without really having a motivation and purpose, <laughs> we're just doing it to do it. And yeah. I guess that's where we have to train our brain and our mind to process information with a different filter. And yes. I think once you do that, then as I said, you can see impossible is nothing. I love a good challenge. And my busy translates into I'm having impact. In fact, when, when someone says, how are you doing this day? I say, well, here's where I'm having impact. This is where I'm having mm. success and results. And, and also I admit often to where, you know, I have a couple challenges I haven't worked out and it's giving me some sleepless nights, but maybe I often ask people for, can I ask your opinion on something? Amazingly, that starts a conversation and people, well, at least with my friends, then they, they kind of expect it now, like you, um, yeah. is you come away with it, with their ability to help you wander or help you see it for, like you said, from being outside, it's more obvious. Yeah. And I, I think that's absolutely right. This this action orientation that we have, the tangible orientation that we have. And it's very interesting because, I mean, you've known me for decades, so you know that where I've evolved in my seeing of how to get the best out of the mind and, and what I point to in quality of mind now is actually our over-reliance on the self. And because we think we are this self, we think we have to take action, have agency to control and manage. And we think that our self is validated by what it produces tangibly. Now, actually, when you look at where, well, I'll be good to get your view on this, Chris, but when you look at when really wonderful outcomes pop out, it's often when the self is out of the way. You're in those <laughs> workshops where you get into real flow and things are just 
emerging from the room or when you're having that quiet moment you know after a busy day on and something pops into your mind it's usually when the self chris or the self peers isn't mega active it's actually in that space so it's our over-reliance on the self that actually gets in our way because we've mistakenly thought the self is the doer of everything whereas really it's just a conduit yeah and to, yes, and to build on that, you know, this whole thing about self and ego and um, the me mm. aspect, um, very, very prevalent in Western philosophy as being the obsession, right? Is I think we spend our teen years trying to figure out who we are. And then all of a sudden we're thrust into the world in jobs and corporations where we then have to figure out what we think, and I use that word, what we think everyone else wants us to be. Yes. And, and the best suit of armor for that world, which is not kind, is, is the ego defense, right? And, and it's, it's supplemented by, you know, badges of title of look at my achievements, my CV, my resume, or my material status and how I want to be seen. These are all crutches. And what happens is mm. we often end up in a position in roles where we've actually, we're not ourselves. And, and, how many people wake up in the morning and they think they have to put on like a different self to go to work and then they have to come home and, and switch. And some people don't switch, which is a, a whole nother issue, right? But the idea is that once you begin realizing, and it often happens with people either at midlife crisis or where they've faced a major disappointment to their ego, they haven't been able to reframe who they are and how they think and how they think about themselves and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I guess it's the same for a corporation as in for an individual. If, you know, is it the great that the Greeks said that before they went to the Oracle at Delphi, there was a statue they passed and it said, know thyself. Um, because if you don't know yourself, then an Oracle can't help you. So you have to know who you are and how you think and how you process and what your role and your purpose is um, in any situation, whether it's with family, friends, or in a work situation. And we, we, I think unfairly blur that, but if, mm. if you actually know yourself, you're more, you're happier. And I think you're more effective in the throughput of, of all of those different circumstances. And that comes down to what you said is park your ego, understand yourself, and then apply, um, rinse and repeat based on what you prioritize in your life. And I think it's, it's regular listeners who will listen to this show will know that it's a massive topic that we talk about on quality of mind. And it's what that means, know thyself. It's interesting you talk about the, uh, the Oracle at Delphi. It has changed for me so much over the last sort of 10 years because I used to think it was all about getting the right version of you. So, okay, that isn't a very useful me. Let me get a better me, uh, which, is, which is okay, but it's quite hard work because you've got to be reinventing you for the context you're in. And now I start to go, oh, you don't really need to have a you because that just evolves anyway that, that that is just happening right it's the self-identification with your story that gets in your way whereas if you know you are the capacity for whatever evolves you don't need to work out what the content is because you know you're the source so you don't have to define yourself to am i this or am i that you realize it's nature's living you and we're in flow and it's just coming through the conduit vessel that is me not i am the driver i am the author and that's a massive change for people because then they get out of the way of themselves and all this brilliance that we do experience in the world comes through us rather than from us, if you see what I mean. Well, I work in the branding industry. So 
you know, it's become en vogue to sort of say, what, what's your personal brand? And, yeah. <laughs> and in some cases that makes it very superficial because it plays to that ego representation. I like to think about, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but all good brands are anchored in a really defined set of values, principles, and purpose that sort of defines and makes them what they are in, in the sense of brands as organizations or cultural icons. So, but when you think about yourself, it's about what's your ethical operating system? What is a priority? How wide is your aperture? Do you understand what you're really good at, what you like and what you enjoy? And, and, and when are you your authentic self? And when you're at your best, your authentic self, and you're in that flow, you can achieve so much more. But people don't pay attention to that, let alone understand that. Because I think if they did to what you would, what you've just said, is I think they would be able to deal with the ambiguity of life. They'd be able to deal with disappointments because they'd realize the disappointment is but temporary. And it's all yeah. about how to frame that. Because as as you know, that expression is things happen for a reason, but at the same time, if it, if it hadn't been for this, this wouldn't have occurred, right? And we rationalize that in a, in a post-analytic sense. But if we, what if we did that in a pre-analytic sense and said, we could choose A, we could choose B, either one will lead me down a path of discovery and, and hopefully satisfaction and learning. If we just approached it like that and it wasn't so binary as yes or no, blue pill, red pill, yeah, I think we'd be happier. But again, life today and the media teaches us to try to think in this binary way. And, and I think that's a challenge for us to kind of, let's say, transcend. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we have to do is unlearn. But <laughs> we're so about learning, 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 learning additive. And I think what I do with, with now is about unlearning. It's subtractive. It's taking it away. Because when we are what you describe as your authentic self, there's almost no self, right? That's almost what the authentic self is. It's selfless. I don't, I don't mean as in and selfish and selfless, but it, it's almost out of the way and therefore it's such a chameleon that it is what it needs to be and it doesn't attach itself to this is me this is me this you know it's actually that's what we really are our most authentic selves we are selfless in a weird way and then and then we respond in that moment to what need, is needed without self-identifying and pinning our validity to it and that's where you get that agility and adaptability resilience and creativity from but that's an unlearning and it's, it's counterintuitive for us to unlearn something because we spent all our years learning. <laughs> and, and I wonder if it's, learning is a great word to think about for a moment, just because some of our learned or learned behaviors are really just habits that become manifest and kind of rituals. And we're mm. not even conscious. It's sort of, we're, we're not consciously in the moment. It's like breathing. Mm. And, and I, I often say to people, it's, it's about what you feel before what you think. And we mistake the two because our habits teach us or they actually reinforce perhaps things that we've never had to reflect upon about what we really believe in or really think, or are we re am I really enjoying this? Or why am I really doing this? Just think of it on any of those levels. So I often, when I ask people, you know, how are you doing? And I ask that genuinely, because I think if you take the temperature of how you're feeling, it's a pretty good indicator of what you're thinking or what you're not thinking. And that's to your point of unlearning is sometimes challenging what you have come to just expect or anticipate because of experience. It's not really a learning understanding. It's just, that's just the way it is. But when you begin challenging that, 
then everything becomes more meaningful <laughs> and, and you're conscious, at least any of the decision's yours. It's not being made for you, which is, I think, the source of a lot of unhappiness and anxiety, which is that feeling that we're not in control, right? Except we are <laughs> through our mind. Well, see, we, I think you get a full circle and being in control becomes actually being totally okay with not being in control. It becomes the same <laughs> thing. Right. So yeah. th th this Delusion. desire for control is itself like I'm, I must control, I must control. When you completely surrender control, you realize the notion of control isn't necessary. And then you feel in control again. It's very weird. <laughs> um, so it, it comes full loop. And that's the unlearning. I think you said it really nicely. That is the unlearning, but we're just not used to that. And we're always Christian in control of our mind. It's just, it's just up to us to recognize that and to put it into action. And, and to see it. And the feelings are telling us where our aperture is. I always say the feelings are the barometer of the aperture. And that's, that's their job is to tell us where our aperture is contracted or expanded. Um, mm. Chris, I, I realize we're getting um, towards the end of time and, and your time is very valuable, but I'd love to ask you one last question. So if there were sort of leaders, young or old, aspiring or established and, and listening to this, what, what, given your success and decades of experience, what, what kind of, what would you recommend to them when it comes to this subject? What would you recommend they do? What, what, what's been valuable for you and how you get the most out of your own life and organizations? What have you learned along the way that you would love to share about that as a sort of kind of synopsis of what we've been uh, rambling on about? <laughs> It's been an interesting ramble. I hope the listeners feel as much. <clears throat> I think that, and I feel that my, the greatest learning that I've had is nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary. And what seems like a moment of crisis or an interminable, never-ending disaster actually is just an opportunity for you to put into practice kind of your resilience and your own operating system of how you frame things. And, and that just, I find that to be now perhaps in my youth where it was, I was very arrow, go, go, go output, output. Now I'm more effective. It's not a quantity, it's quality of time, relationships, reflection, um, seeing that nothing is, is permanent and everything can be changed, particularly starting with how you frame things. And if you do that, I think you see things in the world differently. You see, challenges as opportunities, you nothing is impossible. And it also allows you to speak your mind and your feelings with confidence in which you're not worried about being judged and your ego is parked. And, and I think that it creates better relationships, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life. And once you have that, I think it becomes transformational and empowering. And I, I don't know if, <clears throat> if this has any resonance with anyone that's listening, but I think we all have the power to reinvent our mind and to reinvent situations. And I think once you realize that power, which is, I think, uniquely human, it makes you a better and I think happier person. Yeah. I mean, what you've just said there, Chris, is a beautiful summation of some of the things that people experience when they go for the quality of mind program process. And I've always thought with you, you intuitively know it anyway, because it is a very human thing. We're, we're teaching people to unlearn, to get what's already there. So it's not additive. <laughs> and, and you've always had that ability to just be in a great space and, and, and that vibes to others so that, so they pick up on that. And that's why I think what you've just described there is, is, is a beautiful thing. And, um, okay. absolutely. And if more people truly realize that, because knowing it intellectually is nice, but doesn't really move the needle, you've got to realize that. And, and then live from that 
and, and then you get to where you're at, which is you just love what you do uh, and you look ageless in, in what you do. <laughs> you're like, oh, is Chris the same as he was five minutes ago? Uh, <laughs> oh, if only. It's brilliant. So it's, I wish we could, we could have in a lot more to what we spoke about, but I think listeners will really benefit from a bit of your, your gems of wisdom, Chris. So Thanks. thank you so much for coming on and doing the show. And I'll put, if for anyone who wants to follow Chris a bit more, put your LinkedIn in the show notes, because you're often having very interesting views on things that are going on in society and, and politics and always a very nice, clear uh, often quite amusing but balanced opinion on things so they should follow your views on everything i think so thank you thank you very much thank you peers and again thanks for being part of my journey uh, as a friend and as a colleague and uh, i think that what you're doing and i feel what you're doing is super valuable for any individual or company or team and i hope this helps in in helping people realize the power and the quality of mind well thank you chris thank you and listeners, as always, love to get any feedback, comments, questions on what's resonated in this episode to stay curious and have fun exploring. So until next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious.